Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. full responsibility for everything this government has been doing in tackling coronavirus and I'm very proud of our record. Tens of thousands of our citizens have died avoidably. These were unnecessary deaths because of systematic government misconduct. With good British common sense, we will continue to defeat this virus and take this country forward. There are a lot of green shoots of opportunity on the horizon. You know, we've been held down on the forest floor for far too long and we will reach that canopy again. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salik. And a very good afternoon. I'm Roger Hearing. And let's start today with the story that's all over the front pages this morning, really. The show must go on. The gesture from uh, Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor, towards Britain's entertainment and arts industry. The government ploughing £1.6 billion into theatres, museums and music venues. It's all a bid to rescue the country's arts and culture sector from what had been the brink of collapse. Could still be, I suppose, potentially. But announcing this move, the Chancellor said, in the old tradition, the show must go on, that old showbiz standby. And in fact, of course, speaking to this programme on Friday last week, you were listening, you'd have heard it. Stuart Murphy, CEO of the English National Opera, had said he was planning for a stripped-back opera season from October the 1st. We're finding out new ways of performing all the time, so... Um, there's about 20 uh, orchestras and opera houses across the world have started to do socially distanced performances. And obviously with opera, you're several metres away from the main singer, even if you're on the front row. And that was Stuart Murphy, CEO of the English National Opera. And so I guess he's probably a happier man today, at least knowing that some of that money may be coming his way. Yeah, absolutely. It's a lot of money, isn't it? I suppose the question now is, is it too late for some? We talked about the Nuffield theatres in Southampton, just one of many regional theatres that have said that they can't go on. Are they going to be able to revive or is it too late for them? But as as we see from the likes of the ENO, the big names look to be safe now from this huge cash injection from the Treasury. And, of course, we're going to hear a lot more about what's coming from the Treasury on Wednesday when Rishi Sunak makes uh, his uh, statement, not quite a budget, but a statement about how he's going to help or try to help the UK economy back. We may get a hint of it also tomorrow when he talks in Parliament, uh, answering questions there. But let's raise all this with Stephen Crabb, who's Conservative MP for Priscilla Pembrokeshire, formerly Secretary of State for Wales, and, of course, at one point, a leadership contender for the Conservative Party back in 2016. Stephen, welcome to the programme. Good, good morning to you, and thanks for being with us. Um, let me ask you first about the development today where you are, which is the Welsh opening up. They, I suppose, perhaps looked across the border maybe uh, over the weekend, uh, perhaps wanted to open Welsh pubs and restaurants too, but at least they've now ended some of the transport restrictions. Do you think the Welsh government is handling all this in the right way? Well, um, you're right. The Welsh government have taken a slightly different approach, a slower approach, approach to easing lockdowns here in Wales. Now, from my personal point of view, uh, and certainly as someone who speaks and does a lot with the local business community here in West Wales, there has been some frustration about the, uh, that, that, that decision to go slow in Wales, particularly from the tourism sector. There's a real feeling that 
if, if this whole tourism season, what's left of the summer, is lost, then uh, we could be seeing uh, a number of businesses collapse altogether, uh, more people out of work. And there's been a, a kind of growing sense of frustration, particularly in the tourism and hospitality sectors, those pubs, those restaurants that you mentioned. When they look across the border and see things opening up in England and businesses in Wales thinking, hang on, we want a slice of that too. So um, in, in terms of the impact on business, yes, I've been critical of Welsh government. I mean, one thing that will certainly not help tourism was the five mile rule, the idea that you got to stay close to your homes in Wales. That is uh, being ended from today. Is it the right time to be doing that? Well, I never agreed with the five mile rule being in place uh, from the start. And in fact, the, the Welsh government, in my view, got themselves in a real muddle over it because on the day they launched it, uh, they backtracked within a few hours saying, well, it isn't actually a rule that's going to be seriously enforced. It's more of a rule of thumb. And if you happen to live in the countryside, then, of course, understandably, you're going to need to travel more than five miles to go to the shops or maybe see a family member. So there's always been a bit of um, muddiness around what the status of this rule is. And in my my view, I think it's just added to confusion. And so um, it's, it's time, time to get rid of it altogether, I think. Uh, and Stim, let me ask you about the effect in your constituency in more detail, because it is a big tourist hotspot. It's a very beautiful part of the country, mm. as many of us know. Um, I guess it's been badly affected. Have many businesses gone under? Is there a lot of unemployment? Well, unemployment has um, has increased, as it has right across the UK. I spoke to my local um, the Department of Work and Pensions team two weeks ago, and they said that there'd been an 80% increase in universal credit claims, which is an enormous increase. And in fact, we've seen that kind of pattern across the whole of, of the UK. Um, in terms of sectors that have been particularly hardest hit, uh, I think it's too soon to say whether the tourism um, sector is among them, because they've been supported as part of the furloughing scheme, the government paying uh, 80% of the wages for a lot of the workers in that sector. So the test will come when the restrictions get lifted, seeing what kind of number of tourists return to Pembrokeshire, what kind of remainder of the season that they have. And I think for a lot of the businesses I speak to, that will be the thing that uh, keeps them going until next year, where they can hopefully have a full season, or whether some of them will just pack up shop altogether because they just haven't made the money this year. Yeah, and in that light, I mean, do you think that the furlough scheme really should be extended much further? It's not maybe the right time to suspend that or to ease it off? Yeah, so there are a number of, of economic sectors where there just isn't going to be that full 100% recovery with all the, the best will in the world. Um, you know, parts of tourism and hospitality, perhaps. Um, the the live music industry, festivals and concerts and that kind of thing, which we've been talking a lot about in the last few days. Um, and so there's a good case that can be made for extending the furlough scheme. Unfortunately, the furlough scheme is incredibly expensive. I mean, it's, it's costing billions and billions of pounds every week. And so it just isn't sustainable. Um, and, you know, one of the arguments that I've been making to government ministers myself is, is saying, well, look, you're just not going to be able to carry on um, extending furlough, extending furlough. There will have to be more people relying on the basic safety net of the welfare system. So actually there is a case for a temporary strengthening of the welfare system because I think a lot, of, um, a lot of families will find it a very hard landing indeed going from 80% of salary under furlough to, to relying on, on basic universal credit at the moment. But that's an argument about the welfare support. 
what about what we're expecting to hear from Rishi Sunak on Wednesday? What would you like to hear, particularly in terms of how we're paying for all this? Because there's a lot of money being spent now and it's got to come from somewhere. Yes, I don't know that we're going to hear that much about where where the gap, how the gap is going to be filled. Um, I, I think a lot of the discussion amongst ministers and uh, and and MP colleagues is is about well, you know, we're going to have to just treat this as almost like a wartime debt where it's it's uh, paid back over a much longer period. Um, what I'm hoping that Rishi Sunak is going to be talking about is jobs. You know, will we face a growing employment crisis? I know the Bank of England last week were talking about the potential for a, a quick V-shaped economic recovery, but looming over that is still the picture in the real economy that we're seeing every day now, which is companies announcing redundancy plans uh, as the as the furlough scheme starts to unwind. So I'm looking for the Chancellor really to have something to say about that, about incentives for employers to hold on to their staff or particularly to create placements for younger people. I think there's a real growing concern about you know, this generation of young people, how they're being affected by the pandemic. And, you know, the last thing they need is for jobs and apprenticeship opportunities to be wiped out as part of the, the economic fallout. So therefore, should there be certain specific things? I mean, we've heard uh, talk perhaps about changes in national insurance as a way of incentivising uh, employers, but also perhaps to, to give the economy a boost uh, because of consumer demand, perhaps VAT cuts, perhaps stamp duty cuts. I mean, are those the kind of things you want to hear? Yeah, and so, so I'm in favour of, uh, of looking at those VAT cuts. Um, I think you know the construction sector is one sector that has been arguing for a cut in VAT for um, home improvements. Um, if there's not much new build of houses happening, uh, there's a lot of money being spent at the moment on people wanting to uh, improve their homes, and you could boost that further by a temporary VA cut, VAT cut there. I know the economists are saying, well, look, you know, in the grand scheme of things, um, you know, will VAT cuts really boost overall output? Um, I mean, I think the chance is going to have to be looking at a variety of, of different tools. But in terms of those incentives that uh, encourage employers to hold on to staff and to, to recruit staff, then as we saw uh, you know, in recovering from the last crisis 10 years ago, it is actually comes down to a, you know, a bit of a cash incentive for the employer, whether that's just straight cash or whether it's paid back through the, um, the, the national insurance system or, or some other way. Um, that's the way that you know, for a lot of small businesses in particular, that you give them the incentive to, to create positions, for, particularly for young people. All right. Got to ask you about Brexit as well. Talks resuming in London today. Are you convinced we're going to get a deal by the end of the year? Uh, I'm not convinced we're going to get a deal. Uh, I, I remain optimistic. I'm still on balance, perhaps 55, 45%. Um, I, I remain hopeful that a deal can be done. I think the incentives uh, are still pretty strong for both sides, both the EU and the UK, to reach a deal. Um, what is perhaps different from you know all of those rounds of negotiation that we had under the Theresa May is that you know, the, the political pressure internally on the Prime Minister to get a deal at all costs perhaps isn't there. Um, there are very few MPs banging on the door of Downing Street telling the Prime Minister to go and you know, do whatever he has to do in terms of compromise to, 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 to get a deal uh, and certainly not extend um, the negotiation further. I think people just want to get rid of this and get it done. Um, and that's what a lot of the new MPs, particularly in those northern 
working class communities. Uh, that's what they're yeah. saying to Boris Johnson. Just get Maybe. Brexit done, even if it does, at the, at the end of the day, boil down it's... to a no deal. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics. We start with a government pledge to create 30,000 new traineeships to get young people in England into work. It's largely looking at the idea that unemployment is going to be high and this is a bad thing and something you want to avoid. So they're investing £111 million in England uh, and they're going to give companies £1,000 for each work experience place that they offer. In uh, Northern Ireland, Wales, Scotland, they're going to give £21 million for a similar scheme. And we're talking about classroom-based activity as well, maths, English, CV writing, and then 90 hours of unpaid work experience. So a multifaceted scheme to try and get people, young people in particular, into work. Yes, it's clearly a, a key uh, segment of the population they need to work on if they can. Now, uh, maybe you were out drinking over the weekend, who knows? But while the English at least were let loose upon the country's pubs, restaurants and bars this weekend, it was a very different story across the rest of the UK. Scottish beer gardens, however are allowed to reopen from today. The two-metre social distancing rule is still in place, though it's set to be dropped later in the week. And also in Wales, travel restrictions have been lifted. People no longer have to stay within five miles of their homes. And as we heard from Stephen Crabb earlier in the programme, there was many who thought that should never have been in place in the first place. Outdoor attractions have also been allowed to open, and two households will be able to stay together indoors and overnight. Yeah, it just highlights how disparate the rules are between England and the rest of the country. Who will come out the best only time will tell. And then Britain's rail industry could be the next to get a bailout. That's in this morning's Times. The report there says that train companies face being propped up by the taxpayer for up to two years amid warnings that passenger numbers may fail to return to pre-COVID levels. So sources from the rail industry telling the paper it was feared that a fifth of passengers could not come back for the foreseeable future, even after the crisis, because of the rise of working from home, change to working patterns. So they're no longer doing that daily commute, and that is going to hit these rail operators in the pocket. Well, another sector being hit, it seems every sector is, is uh, universities. 13 of them, if they say, could go bust unless they are bailed out. That's according to a report from the Institute of Fiscal Studies. The IFS says high-ranking universities with large numbers of international students face the largest immediate drop in income, but the least prestigious universities are at greatest risk. The IFS recommends a targeted government bailout as the most effective, cost-effective plan for dealing with that. But uh, an awful lot of demands, of course, at the moment, Seb, on the Exchequer. 
Yeah, danger around every corner for a lot of industries. Well, let's talk about one sector that is getting a bailout. We know that now. The government plowing £1.6 billion into the arts. We're talking theatres, museums, music venues. So let's hear from one of the biggest players in the industry. Joining us now is John Langford. He's the Chief Operating Officer of AEG Europe, which owns the O2 Arena, among other large venues. So, John, first off the bat, I've got to ask you what you make of this package. Um, really happy to see the package today. You know, we've been lobbying for a long time for three key areas. Um, is a business support package, that exemption, and a timeline to reopen. So the business support package clearly is one of those asks, and it's going to go a long way to minimising the impact that the industry has already suffered. Well, you say go a long way, but is it going to be enough i mean are, are some well we know some venues have already closed down we heard about some of the theaters in southampton uh, recently yeah. um but it's a wider problem this i mean would this money be enough to keep many of them abo- on afloat well one of the issues is we don't know enough about the detail of the package so to what extent it covers the industry and how deep into the industry it goes so i mean clearly we're waiting for that information as well um if we just look at at our sector, the live entertainment sector, we estimate that it's going to be hit with about nine hundred million pounds in losses just this year. So, you know, if we use that as a yardstick, you know, if this crisis goes beyond the end of the year, then then the package is is going to be short. So, I mean, one of the big warnings we had from uh, people we spoke to on Friday, particularly MP Giles Watling, was around regional theatres and more local stuff. Speaking as a major operator, do you think they are in significant danger still as a result of this? We look at places like the Nuffield and Southampton that have already had to make people redundant and and close down as a result. Yeah, um, you know, and I think particularly hard hit is the small grassroots sector. You know, they haven't been able to access um, the, the loans that many of the bigger players have been able to. Um, and, you know, that a lot of them are just generally living hand-to-mouth. So when the industry shut down in, in early March, just the taps were turned off for all of us, but most significantly it were, were the feeder grassroots venues. John, let me ask you about your own uh, operation and, and O2, the O2 specifically. I mean, O2 has been, has been closed. Uh, first of all, when do you think the O2 will actually reopen and in what form? Well, that's the million-dollar question. You know, we're still pushing government to get clarity on the timeline for reopening. Um, we're hearing messaging that potentially we may hear something this week. But even if we are given the go-ahead to open, it's unlikely that we will see events until next year. And that's mostly because when the crisis hit, we had to cancel, cancel, postpone or reschedule 126 events. So most of those have already shifted into next year. So even if we are given the go-ahead to open, there's no content that we can just switch on and, and get through the doors. But then the other issue is social distancing. If you go somewhere like the O2, it's a huge space with loads of people packed in. And that sort of entertainment just doesn't really lend itself well, even if you have to stay a metre apart from people. So what, what are you planning for that? Well, our industry just doesn't sustain social distancing. You know, If we take the one metre rule, um, the O2's capacity is about 30% of its regular capacity. Now, a typical music tour requires a break-even of anywhere between 85 and 95% capacity. So you know, even at the one-metre rule, we cannot make the, the business work economically, financially. So um, you know, we need to work with government to safely reopen at as close to full capacity as possible. Um, 
And what about the position so far? I mean, I don't know what the size of your employee force is. How many of them have you put on furlough? How many? I mean, are there redundancies in, in prospect? What, what happens? Well, we're in a consultation process at the moment with staff. So there are likely to be redundancies as a consequence of that. Um, the furlough scheme has been hugely helpful. You know, we've had close on three quarters of our workforce on furlough. Um, but, but beyond October, you, you know, that, that's drying up as well. So that's putting tremendous pressure on all venues, you know, large and small, and all operators, you know, right through from, from agencies and, and promoters further down the value chain. Is the reality then that venues like yours are just not going to be able to operate again until there's a vaccine? Well, vaccine or there's an acceptance that we can operate safely um, under in, under guidance that's um, agreed with Public Health England. Um, you know, one of the things that we are asking for is equivalency and consistency across sectors. Um, you know, we don't want there to be one rule for one sector and another rule for others. So, you know, we're pushing government especially to just, just be clear in terms of the guidance that it provides. And clear, but also, I guess, um, able to work with you in a way that means that there is a strategy. I mean, you said you've got to be equal across the board, but this is a government that's already under huge amounts of pressure, the health authority equally so. I mean, I guess the awful truth is that your industry perhaps is lower down the list of priorities than many others. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we've we've accepted that it's taken time for government to get the focus on our industry. But overnight, you know, the package that was announced was hugely welcomed by the industry. And we're really glad that, you know, a lot of the campaigning that we've done, we did a huge campaign on Thursday last week um, called Let the Music Play, where we had over 1,500 artists from Sir Paul McCartney to Dame Shirley Bassey just just highlighting the importance of the industry. So we're glad, really glad that we've made a, a breakthrough in that respect. Is there any opportunity here for innovation? We were speaking to the English National Opera on Friday and they were telling us about how they're doing drive-through opera, open air, and, and really sort of changing the medium. Is there anything that can be done in, in your line of work? Um, yeah, we've looked at lots of those things. I think, you know, the hard reality is that for most of our sector, we really need to get back to live as, as we know it. You know, watching live entertainment from confines of your car is a short-term fix but it's only a temporary fix and it's really sustainable um, so we do need to get back to full capacity live as soon as possible and what about the wider picture john because i mean you're you're coo of ag europe are you getting uh, sense from the rest of the continent of ways forward of new ideas of things that could work yeah it's interesting you know just seeing what's happening in, in different parts of Europe, which which I look after, um, you know, some of those regions are opening up quicker than others, but the general principle is pretty much the same, that social distancing is in place um, across all of our venues. The complication on global touring is that, you know, if Elton John can play a date at the O2 and plays his dates here, then he needs to move to Paris, and if there is a restriction in Paris or a restriction on travel, that then complicates the tour, which could jeopardise the entire tour even happening. So it's a complex network of venues and a complex ecosystem, which requires as much as possible consistency, not just within the UK, but beyond our borders as well. Um, fascinating. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating and challenging at the same time. So um, I think certainly the benefit we've got being in 
London is that it's a very healthy um, live music space. And, you know, if the rest of the continent or other parts of yeah. the world have not opened up, I think we can certainly still sustain a little bit of business at the O2. All right, good stuff. John, thanks so much. John Langford there, Chief Operating Officer of AEG Europe, which owns the O2 Arena, among other things, talking to us about what the future has in store for businesses like his, Roger. Yeah, really, really challenging. Fascinating insight into the kind of difficulties that he clearly faces in terms of pushing this whole thing through. And of course, much, much smaller venues, those uh, difficulties are even more uh, difficult to deal with simply because of the little amounts of money they've got to deal with. So uh, a sector that's clearly under pressure, but the government signalling it is trying to support. Right, we're back tomorrow at the same time with Bloomberg Westminster. Bye-bye. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.